Welcome to the Words of Colour in Conversation podcast. I'm your host, Heather Marks. On this podcast, I'll be speaking to creatives of colour, discussing their work, practice and much more. Today's guest is Dawn Walton, Artistic Director of Eclipse Theatre Company. Eclipse Theatre Company is the foremost black-led national production company in the UK. Founded in 2003 as an initiative, Eclipse grew into a production company under the leadership of Dawn Walton, who took on the mantle of Artistic Director in 2008. Since their conception, Eclipse has been at the vanguard of delivering inclusive programming in theatres across the country. Their mission statement is to influence and instigate change that leads to a more diverse and equitable theatrical landscape. I had the pleasure of speaking to Dawn Walton ahead of the opening of Princess and the Hustler at Bristol Old Vic. Princess and the Hustler is the next production to come out of Revolution Mix, a movement led by Eclipse to bring the largest ever national delivery of black British productions in regional theatres. In this interview, Dawn discusses the principles at the heart of Eclipse's practice, how that feeds into their latest movements, those being Revolution Mix, Slate and the Eclipse Award, and we also discuss their latest production, Princess and the Hustler, its roots in UK civil rights, and Eclipse's legacy. I'm so pleased that our first In Conversation podcast is with you, precisely because of your long-standing commitment and approach to creating a more equitable theatrical landscape through programming, audience engagement, artist development and regional touring. Calls for UK theatre to address its largely white monoculture have led to colourblind casting, plays by writers of colour being programmed and now a proliferation of artistic directors of colour at the helms of prestigious institutions. Lynette Linton at the Bush Theatre, Kwame Kweama at the Young Vic, Indu Rubasinga at Kiln Theatre and Madni Yunis at the Southbank Centre, among others. Clearly a step in the right direction regarding theatre's inclusivity, but is this enough for you? Do you want to answer that right now? <laughs> <laughs> we can come back to it if you want. No, I can answer that. <laughs> I think it is a really brilliant step in the right direction. Um, I think the key to true, lasting diversity uh, and inclusivity in the arts uh, has to start at leadership. Start with leadership. So that's really important. I thought your list was interesting, though. Oh, yeah. Because it's rather London-centric. I know, and, yeah. And that, and that is the reality. Yeah. So I, I took a step, you know, I'm a Londoner. You can hear I'm a Londoner. I'm a goddamn South East Londoner. Yes. Um, uh, born and bred and very proud of that. But um, in my career, I became aware that actually there are people, black people, outside London. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and I was really curious as to why no provision was being made for those audiences uh, and those artists outside of London. So, yeah, if you can travel down to London and afford to live in London, great. If you can't or you don't want to, more to the point, what do you do? And that's what I'm mostly concerned with. So that list, all those beautiful people, all of colleagues of mine, um, all leading buildings in London uh, is brilliant. But I don't see that outside of London. Mm -hmm. So we're way, way, way behind. Mm -hmm. And until I don't really believe this country... The arts in this country will really change 
Um, if you really want to innovate, if you really want to make a change, then you have to be outside of London, outside the bubble mm -hmm. of London, mm -hmm. into the reality of the rest of the country. Once you change outside the rest of, outside the, rest of the country, once you make those changes there, then you've really changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's actually a point I come on to later, actually, okay. because of the whole, because of Eclipse's regionality and mm -hmm. the fact that it's decentering London as yeah. this creative hub yeah. in the UK. Yeah. Um, yes, so... Many of the initiatives Eclipse has run, the latest being Revolution Mix, Slate and the Eclipse Award, mm -hmm. they're creating great opportunities for artists of colour. Mm -hmm. How has the theatrical landscape changed since Eclipse's founding and what do you feel has been Eclipse's prime achievement? Uh, well, I don't know. I should be reflecting because we are coming up to 10 years, but... Mm. I'm so busy driving still. I haven't had a huge amount of time. My board is constantly telling me about this. Um, I think the first thing I'll pick up on is the use of your word initiative. I rail against initiatives, okay. actually. I find them short-term um, and sort of box-ticky initiatives. Mm -hmm. I think that um, Eclipse, the first thing we did is we, 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 we work in movements. And the reason that choice is a really deliberate one on my point, my part, um, the greatest achievement happened through movements, and I think movements have a legacy. That's the definition for me, and um, initiatives don't. It's quite interesting that the beginning of Eclipse, way back when, before my time, was an initiative. It was an Arts Council initiative. And when I arrived at this initiative, I was quite interested. I thought the only people that benefited from it were the buildings, in a kind of really kind of box-ticky way. There was nothing for black artists. The artists were at the heart of it, and audiences didn't even get a look in. And my first action was to make a company. There was no company. Um, which was, a, which was really a kind of coded mistrust of the ability of black artists to lead, actually, in my opinion. Uh, so I've, I, I was very clear about that. It needs to be a company um, with its own uh, constitution and its own desire and its own um, motivation, if you like, and ambitions. And then the next thing I thought that was really important was to give it... Uh, a central thinking, if you like. And my central thinking and the central driver for Eclipse is Eclipse is about audiences. Audiences sit at the heart of everything we do. When you're touring black work, um, and, you know, over the last 10 years, I've had all these kind of really interesting kind of objections, if you like, which are really about... You know, people say, we don't have an audience for this, there's no place for this, there's no whatever this, it has to be in the smallest spaces for the shortest amount of time. All those things. I think, um, make it about audiences and the audiences will tell me what they want, what they enjoy um, and what they will come and engage in. So I think that approach has been the biggest thing that we've done because actually we can walk audiences into theatres. Um, the so-called hard-to-reach audiences into mm. the theatres. But, but on the flip of that, at the other end of the sort of marketing spectrum, if you like, what we're also extremely good at is uh, attracting what you call experience seekers. 
So experienced seekers are people that have money, go to theatre really regularly, but actually don't want to see the stuff that theatres churn out. They don't want to see a panto. They don't really want to see another Shakespeare. They don't really want to see, you know, the sort of chosen mm. um, canon, if you like. They want to see something new. They want mm. to see something that excites them, that's formally challenging, that's a story they've never heard before, something that makes them think about the world a bit differently. Mm-hmm. So we hit it at both ends. And the first time I did that was with a show called The Hounding of David Oluwale. And uh, we took that show, I will go back to London for a second, to hack the empire. And when we got the figures through, we delivered 25% new bookers to hack the empire. And I was like, who the hell? Hack the empire is like pretty much an all black audience. Who, the, who are the new bookers that we brought in? I didn't expect that. And of course, who we brought in were the Guardian readers mm-hmm. up the road in Islington who were engaged with this political story and who wanted to come and see what that was about. And those were the people that were walking through the doors who just thought Hackney was just some sort of comedy venue that had nothing to do with them. Yeah, it's on the doorstep. Yeah. So I thought it was really interesting. From then on, I knew we were onto something. Mm, definitely. And I see a lot of theatres now picking up on that trying to reach new audiences and some kind of hitting and missing in the ways that they're doing it. I, for one, really admire um, the Black Ticket Project in the way that it's really making theatre accessible for uh, an audience who may not necessarily have been before. Um, And you were talking about before earlier that true innovation is outside the bubble of London. Yeah. Um, And that leads me on to my next question in the fact that Eclipse has shown a commitment to regionality. Yeah. Yeah. Slate, your artist development programme is specifically for artists based in the North. Yeah. Revolution Mix is the largest ever delivery of black British productions, prioritising regional theatres and sometimes bypassing London altogether. Yeah. And of course, you're based in Sheffield. Yeah. So how has this commitment to decentering London as the prime theatrical hub impacted on UK theatre, in your opinion? I think that um, it's really important. We're, we're artists, so artists should be allowed to make work uh, where they are from, where they're inspired. Um, And there is a sort of real pressure, I think, to kind of push everything into one region. Mm. London is one of the regions we go to, and we don't ever try and exclude London. It's about whether they take the show or not. But um, I always say that London is one of five regions. So who's looking after, who's talking and thinking about those other regions? Um, And it is much, I think it is about that, that Slate really came about because once Eclipse had established itself and we'd done a few things, people kept knocking on my doors. I'm just having black artists. I don't know how they got my number. People were ringing me up all kinds of time and like coming through Facebook, all kinds of places, asking for help. I was like, why are all these artists existing up here yet they're not getting any help, no support? And yet with no resources, There's a sort of a structure, there's a kind of the independent sector, there's sort of buildings, most of the resources go into buildings. Um, And the vast majority of arts funding goes into buildings and buildings use that money for buildings. They don't use the money necessarily for artists. I'd be quite interested if anybody ever asked buildings, how much of their money gets to artists? Mm. So that's the first question. The second question is that the the outside of buildings is the independent sector who have less money. And then at the bottom of the pile of the independent sector are black independent artists. Yet with little resources, those black independent artists are making really exciting work. Trouble is, it's only on for one night Mm -hmm. in Bristol, Mm -hmm. in that building, or it's on one night in Leeds, 
in the library. And if you're not there, if you're not one of the 50 people that are there, nobody ever gets to see that work. Mm -hmm. Who misses out? Audiences. So let's empower the artists to make the work, to build sustainable models so they can feed themselves while they make the work and move that work either locally, if they wish, nationally, and finally, internationally. Mm -hmm. International is really important. The most sustainable models that I've seen have internationalism as part of it. You move the work across Europe and the States and wherever you need to move it to. The examples being organisations like Akron Khan's company. I think 80% of his work is outside the UK. Forced Entertainment, who's another company based in, the, in Sheffield, alongside us in the same building, in fact. 80% of their work is outside the UK. 1927, 70%. These are all organisations that are really successful, but they're successful because they have an international side. So that's what I'm trying to teach and share that knowledge with black artists. When you go across Europe, there's no work like we can produce here. There's no work of, for black artists at all. Um, so there's a market. Mm. Mm. That actually leads me on to my next question because um, in previous interviews you've mentioned that Slate's first international partners will uh -huh. be Portugal and the Netherlands, yes. namely Lisbon's Teatro Griot uh -huh. and Amsterdam's Meervaart. Yeah. What are we to expect from this partnership and the work you hope will travel between these three countries? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's an experiment as much as anything else. Teatro Griot are awesome. Um, Zia Sahara is, is, a, is a black artistic director. I look at her and I kind of see myself, um, which is really wonderful. Um, but she runs this company. It's the only... When I first went to Portugal and I was starting to look for black um, theatre companies, I was told point blank there are none. Now, when I'm told there's, there are none, I know there definitely are. <laughs> so I looked harder and we found each other. Um, and they're a really extraordinary company um, who, much like us, are not just concerned with just only the art that they make, but they're equally concerned with the empowerment of other artists. So for them, this was a really interesting vehicle where they can start to find a way to explore that. Um, I have a real desire that... I have a real... Um, I'm really clear that... Um, there's a kind of slight imperialism with British art in that it's perceived that we're really good at diversity in the UK. Um, when I travel around, people kind of, oh God, well, it's easy for you, it's all right in the UK. It's really easy to do diversity in the UK. And I just kind of go, right, you need to come and sit in my room for a bit, <laughs> sit on my land, sit on my world, part of the world for a bit and see what the real challenges are. We're just very good at appearing to be. We're mm. very good at talking the game, but we don't, we haven't yet learned how to deliver. Mm. The thing about diversity is that it has a kind of groundhog day in it. There's a lot of talk and there's a lot of um, discussion and there's some initiatives and then it all kind of dies down again. Mm -hmm. um, and then a few years later, it rears back up again and people go, oh God, we need to do something. Yeah. If you really want to, what, what, what the traveling out internationally is about sharing practice so that you accelerate that. There's things that we know. Why does Teatro Gria have to spend all the time with Demirvat, spend all their time recre recreating the wheel? We went through that loop. Here's how, here were the obstacles. Here's how we tackle those obstacles. In, the, in exactly the same way, there are obstacles that, are going, that they are going to experience that we have yet to experience. So we share the knowledge and we accelerate it as fast as possible. 
So my question now is on Princess and the Hustler. Because we have to talk about that. It's opening very soon. So Eclipse's latest production is Princess and the Hustler, which is the second production to come out of the revolution mix movement mm-hmm. following the sellout national tour of Black Men Walking. Yeah. It tells the story of a 10-year-old girl called Princess mm-hmm. who plans to win the Western Supermare Beauty Contest. Mm-hmm. However, in 1963 Bristol, black British civil rights campaigners are walking onto the streets and Princess will find out what it really means to be black and beautiful. So the play is written by Chinonyerem Odimba with you as director. Mm-hmm. And Princess and the Hustler opens Saturday the 9th of February at Bristol Old Vic. Um, so I wanted to ask really why this play, um, why was this play chosen as the next production to tour as part of Revolution Mix mm-hmm. um, and how has the process of making Princess and the Hustler differed to that of Black Men Walking? Um, okay, so to answer that I kind of have to go back a little bit and kind of explain more about Revolution Mix. Okay. So Revolution Mix really is um, was about, started with uh, my desire to work with lots of black writers all at the same time. Um, and I focused my attention on black writers outside of um, London. Um, and we did a shout out years ago and as, uh, uh, for people that, that met, met that criteria, but also had at least two kind of professional experiences. And we didn't care what that experience was, if it was in theatre, if it was a film, radio, whatever it was. And we just wanted them to be writers um, and up for it. Now, when we did the shout out, over th- nearly three hundred people applied, which was which scared the hell out of me, um, because there was a lot of applications to get through. So, building a team, we whittled it down to fifty. Uh, myself and my artist, uh, my um, dramaturg Ola Anamashuan, uh, my brilliant dramaturg, we um, met fifty writers, and then we. Uh, selected the final few and we committed to those writers for three years Um, which is unusual Uh, somebody usually gets committed uh, you know a commission and that's it maybe it might go on maybe it won't but we committed and we also committed that we were going to develop work that would be produced rather than developing work per se which which is something of a fashion then you cherry pick the best ones and do it mm. we wanted to make that work um the, how it differed uh why this one well there's an urgency in telling a civil rights story i think at this moment in time um there is you know brexit uh churning up the sort of feelings that we know sit underneath some of the thinking uh, in Britain, sits in the sort of DNA of Britain, that's that kind of imperialist thinking, that kind of, you know, hierarchical thinking uh, that exists. And the, sep- you know, the sort of separatism of that, that kind of revealing moment within uh, the Brexit moment is quite disturbing what's it's churned up. So to go back to a time in 1963, when we're sort of in the height of this in Bristol, uh, in particular, um, but in most parts of the country, is an interesting thing to do. I think it's an interesting time to be doing a play like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also, um, I have long, I'm mostly motivated by things that irritate me. I feel like I need to just do something about it, because I'm, otherwise I'm just going to get vexed. Um, and I always say art is the most useful thing I always do with my anger. So, 
um, making a piece of work that um, one of my irritations is the, uh, the notion that civil rights happened in America. Mm. Um, the implication being that there was no requirement for it here, therefore it didn't happen. That's what I hear every time people do that. And, and I was aware that there, was a re there are a number of really important seminal stories um, as part of this sort of 500 plus year sort of landscape that we had of black British stories uh, that we were creating in Revolution Mix. That this was one of the stories that came up and that I was absolutely clear almost before I started Revolution Mix that I wanted to tell this story, something around this story. Um, so it's a long ambition, actually, to be in, to tell this story and to bring this story to light, simply because it kind of it changed the law in mm. this country. Yeah. It changed the law, not just for the black community, but for the broadest, um, you know, for everyone, really. The effects of the Race Relations Act were permeated across the country. So it's a really important piece of history. Um, and Chino was writing this, um, had this really beautiful idea of a domestic drama set in Bristol um, around that time. And we aligned that with the story of the Bristol bus strike. So the central story is the story of Princess. And the story of the hustler is where we start to see the Bristol bus strike uh, backdrop, if you like. When we set up Revolution Mix, we picked moments in history, black history, and I mean all the way back that hundreds of years, uh, black British history. And uh, this is a more relatively recent one, but um, the rules were um, in the manifesto was that the, that the writers were free to write whatever they wanted and whatever that moment in history was, they could either put it at the front of their story or at the, as the backdrop to their story. It was important that they wrote the stories they wanted to tell. And Gina wanted to write this story about Princess. So the Bristol bus strike became the backdrop to it. And it's a powerful combination. They're both political. Um, uh, they're both political and personal. And that's what I love about it the most. The story uh, with Black Men Walking was that uh, Black Men Walking was an idea that I had. Um, and I invited Testament in, who is a hip-hop artist. Um, and I wanted to make something that was formally challenging. So the process was more about creating a piece of work, uh, combining all those different skills. Um, and as a musician, Testament brought music into the piece. As a poet, Testament brought poetry into the piece. Um, and also, Testament was one of those artists that I saw you know, in a, in a one-nighter in Leeds with this incredible sort of experiment that he was trying. And I just was like, yoink. Um, but I also wanted to work with a Yorkshire writer to make mm -hmm. a Yorkshire piece um, in the same way that I would work with a Bristol-based writer to make a Bristol-based piece. Mm -hmm. um, and so really what Chino wrote was a play and what I worked, made with Testament was more of a made piece of work. Okay. Um, which is much more, in, which is really reflective of my own process. I guess I started my career at the Royal Court. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the so-called well-made play um, and the sort of formality of that, you know, the structure of that, how that all works. And moving across to working with artists like Selena Thompson, John C. D. Um, different kind of artists who make work in a different way has shifted my own practice to kind of embrace 
both the rigour of a sort of formal dramaturgical writing process and combining it with, I'm hoping I'm not being too technical here, but no, no, no. combining it with something that's much more formally challenging, that the text can be dance, music, as much as it is the written word. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested in all different forms of art and combining those things. Yeah. No, I think that's great, definitely. I think there's definitely much more excitement and success when you think about experimental form and think about combining those different elements like those different disciplines definitely i also think that that black artists my experience of working with black artists certainly across the north of england and their work that they're making through slate the the, the, the projects that are presented through slate are um it is my observation that black artists are very rarely defined by art form mm, mm. we just make work and that work might have music in it, it might not. It might have dance in it, it might not. It might be just written, it might not. Um, we don't define, we're as likely to have some visual arts combined with, you know, um, with a formal, you know, written drama, if you like, combined with music. It's as mm. likely as that to happen. And I think true art is formally challenging. Mm. So I think that, that, that it, so in excluding black artists, what you exclude is this extraordinarily exciting um, in, innovations. You, you lose it completely by excluding those artists. Why would you do that? I think Slate, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the work that comes out of that, for yeah, sure. Yeah, Slate has a number of things that are going on now. There's an incredible piece that's been made by uh, Luando Obizi up in um, Manchester right now, which is an incredible piece of work that, that could be could sit in an art gallery, mm -hmm. could be a sound installation, could be um, a visual arts piece. Um, and this is an artist that has um, a, a neurodiversity um, that influences her work. So it's right. an incredible piece of work that she's making. Um, one of the R&Ds we did last year was Dorcas, who was in Black Men Walking as well. Mm. Dorcas uh, created an album, um, a socially conscious album of her for her generation, and was really interested, presented that album live with a whole visual landscape. And so she, we gave her, a, she won a commission to do an R&D of that. It was an incredible night. So I, you know, those sort of innovations mm. are really exciting, I think, really mm. wonderful ways to make work and really um, engaging of a very broad audience spectra that, that go right across the board. Definitely. And I see that a lot in the designers for certain shows in that they are both, they work in both exhibitions, they work in both um, shooting film, uh -huh. uh, as well as sort of designing sets. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Well, I'll pick that up straight away. Okay. So immediately I will tell you that you describe uh, Princess and the Hustler as the second revolution mixed piece, but actually it's not, it's the third. Okay. Because the second one was a radio drama oh. called The Last Flag, which came out last year, which was an afternoon play. Uh, which I never thought I was going to get a play on Radio 4 afternoon drama, but we wanted one, and we did get a commission for one. And it's the second Revolution Mixed Piece. So Chino, one of three writers, so three writers, including Chino, um, Chino Nyerim and um, Selena Thompson and Lorna, um, Lorna French were the three writers, and we developed a piece that went on to Radio 4. But that's the thing about radio, it's on, yeah. then it's gone. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll definitely have to try and find it somehow. Mm. Okay, so we've touched on a lot of things. Um, sustainability of regional black artists, mm -hmm. international connections, mm -hmm. telling stories that are 
not the sort of cliched ones that are usually reached for when we tell a black British history. Yeah, telling um, new black British stories. Yeah. yeah, and the commitment to new writing mm-hmm. as well. It's this kind of canon-making process, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you want Eclipse to be in 10 years' time? I have no idea where Eclipse will be <laughs> because somebody else will be doing that in 10 years' time. I'm pretty certain. Um, I think what's important for me is that Eclipse continues to exist and it turns into whatever is necessary at that moment in time. Um, you know, I can't dictate. I'm old now. You know, I've done my 10, you know, I've done 10 years nearly of this very specifically. And I think, you know, the future of it, I'm going to be reliant on the artists that I work with and the audiences that we have a beautiful relationship with to give me a sense of what needs to happen. What's relevant now may not be relevant mm-hmm. in 10... I sincerely know will not be relevant in 10 mm-hmm. years' time. So it's whatever it needs to be. I think what remains, the legacy has to be that it needs to remain as black-led. Mm-hmm. It needs to remain as a space uh, where artists come first. It needs to maintain a dialogue with its audiences. Those are the foundations that I've given it. Mm-hmm. Um, and wherever it wants to fly to is is up to Eclipse, really. I think it okay. should do that. I think two movements is quite a lot. Um, and the third one, you know, we're sort of trying to influence uh, what happens at, you know, places like... Where, where, where there's gaps, we'll take it on. So, you know, Revolution... Um, sorry, um, the Eclipse Award is a new thing. We we go to Edinburgh all the time. We've been supporting black artists when we're up in Edinburgh in a kind of informal way. I've now formalised it with the Eclipse Award, which is really exciting. Mm. And, uh, yeah, deadline Monday. But... Um, yeah, that's where we are. Um, I think in Revolution Mix, the progression has been that um, audiences have influenced our work. I Black Men Walking is based on a real Black Men Walking group in Sheffield. Princess and the Hustler actually will allow that some of those audiences to be part of the production. We're still looking for black women to come. <laughs> come on and be part of uh, Princess and the Hustler. All you got to do is walk a catwalk in whatever you feel like. So email engagement at eclipse.org.uk. Uh, there's still time to sign up. Brilliant. And I guess in my final question before you have to shoot off, mm-hmm. is there anything that we haven't touched on in this interview that you'd like to discuss? There's something that's, you know, I guess that you don't really get asked. I do think you've been pretty thorough. Your research is awesome. Um, uh, so I'm talking about things I wasn't quite expected to talk about this morning, but I think it's really brilliant. Uh, no, I think, yeah, it's just, we're just open to a dialogue really um, mm-hmm. about what um, audiences want to see. I think... I think the last thing is actually there's a real challenge, I think, for regional theatres that are used to leading the conversation. And it's how we published a document called The R Word, which was a provocation. Um, And The R Word really is our way of sharing information. As we learn things, we share it as fast as we can. And The R Word was a really uh, a document that was sharing our views on our experience of Mm -hmm. touring in Britain and what the results can be and what the barriers are that remain and I and I sort of I guess my challenge really is goes out to sort of regional theatres to really take that seriously um, because they are a barrier to work at times to be 
braver about putting black work on in bigger spaces, to be braver to allow black directors to make work in bigger spaces. I'm talking to you, the National Theatre. Um, to make, you know, those things are the things that are worrying me. To be, to boards, to be braver about artistic directors outside of London mm -hmm. being people of colour. What is your problem here? Mm -hmm. So it's those things that I'm really engaged with, really. I just want to kind of throw that out there as a sort of general provocation. If you want to talk to me about it, I'm very happy to have the conversation. No, definitely, please, because I love the R Word report because it showed that people will come that you retained your core audience yeah. and new audiences. And the fact that it was only put on for one or two nights was actually hampering the performance yeah. because it showed that people still wanted to come and the tickets, but they couldn't, the yeah. tickets were sold out. Yeah. So it completely smashed all yeah. those myths. Yeah. yeah. There is a conversation that I find that when I have sometimes with, with the institution, if you like, that, that there's a point where the conversation uh, separates and it's at the point when I'm talking about audiences Eclipse is talking about audiences and the venues are talking about risk. And mm -hmm. I understand what that conversation is, but actually what I'm kind of trying to do is get that conversation to be in the same, uh, walk along the same path, if you like. Mm -hmm. And the people that benefit are audiences. Yeah. They're the people that mm -hmm. come in and see the work, are part of the work, uh, infuse about the work. I don't make the work for just me. I make it for people to come and engage and then come and tell me whether they like it or not. I'm all good with that. Mm. That's me. I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you. Thank you.